get stuffed. Hello and welcome back to Double Stuff Cinema. This is episode number 47. I'm Tyler. I'm Neil. And I'm Shrey. And uh, we're joined today by a guest who I think has been on here a few times. She should be a familiar voice. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi guys, I'm Christina. Uh, Christina, how many times have you been on here before? I think you were on the Spider-Man episode. Yes, I was uh, on the Spider-Man episode and then was it the year anniversary? Yeah, but I feel like yeah. you were in another one other than that, right? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe I'm just imagining things. Well, Christina is here to join us for, I believe, the fourth episode of our deep dive in the Nolan filmography. Uh, we're going to be discussing Inception today, which I think, other than The Dark Knight, is probably Nolan's most popular film. Like, It's the one that everyone immediately identifies as a Nolan movie. Um so let's just dive right in. Uh, do you guys remember your first time watching the movies or watching Inception? Um, yeah, I do. I remember as far as my first time goes, you know, I was definitely, I walked out of the movie not knowing what happened at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched a lot of like those YouTube recap videos that you yeah. find online. I watched a lot of those to kind of catch up, but. I think after watching those and after seeing the movie a couple more times after the first one, it makes a lot more sense. And it's definitely worth like three or four rewatches for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Ty? Yeah, so I, I think I watched Inception in the worst possible way you can watch Inception. <laughs> and that was off of a phone with uh, no <laughs> subtitles in the back of a car um, mm. on like a car ride home from a vacation. Approximately and what my friend was tied, you know. This was 2013. Okay. And my friend was like, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta see this movie. Uh, we gotta watch this movie on the way home." So we, we each had like one earbud, you know. Oh. Um, and he's like, and he's like, I don't even understand it, but it's awesome. Like, there's awesome stuff going on the whole time. And we watched it, and I remember like falling asleep, you know, in yeah. certain parts of it. I. Uh, I would like wake up, there'd be like a new character. There's like, you know, time jumps, dreams and stuff going on. First time I watched it, I I remember like telling myself that it was awesome, but I really didn't understand it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then, I've, I've been able to watch it a few more times and kind of get a get a better uh, hold of the, the movie. But um, that first time really stands out because it was just, I, I understood nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't say my experience for the first time was as bad as that, but... Um, I saw it like from Redbox around like 2011, maybe. Uh, one of my friends had gotten in. She was like, "You've got to see this! Like, it's crazy! It's amazing!" You like, I watched it with my parents. They had no idea what was going on by the end. And I was like, "All right, I'll do it." I I barely <laughs> watch movies at this point, and uh, I saw Inception. I convinced myself that it was awesome, but I also had no idea what happened the entire time, like for some reason I was still confused about like the levels of dreams. Like I didn't get that part at all, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I think I ended up rewatching it like a few, like maybe within a few days. And I was like, okay, maybe I kind of get this 
And then like it didn't take very long for me to rewatch it again and like finally understand it. But that wasn't until like maybe I was 13 or 14. But yeah. What about you, Christina? Do you remember your first time watching it? I I do for a couple of reasons because first of all, it's Inception. So mm-hmm. I think every you know, everyone's confused, it's kinda hard to forget. But the first time I watched it, I was homesick with the stomach flu. So I watched it once and I was so confused that I watched it again, back to back. Wow. And I think I'm still confused. I think what I've gathered from what you guys have said is for some reason, we all think it's a really great movie. And at first you don't really know why you think it's a great movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think like the first time you watch it, you're kind of just like, I mean, at least when we saw it, we were fairly young, like around the ages of 10 to 13. And you kind of just see a lot of cool images on the screen. Like you see a city folding over into itself and then like they start walking up. There's like weird explosions and stuff, slow-mo and everything. You're like, oh, that's cool. Like I've probably never seen that on a screen before. Um, Yeah, it definitely has some of those Doctor Strange-esque elements. Yeah, but definitely. A lot more for definitely with a more complicated backstory and yeah plot going on i mean speaking of dr strange it was really cool like when dr strange came out and like seeing the inception influence like when the city starts folding in on itself and everything although that's mm-hmm. definitely like yeah. i think it's a bit more complex because of there's like magic involved whereas like this is straight up just christopher nolan's imagination which is a whole other thing um what about the most recent time you guys remember watching this? Do you guys have any memory or recollection of that? How about you, Christina? The last time I watched it was with my parents, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, this was this was a couple months ago, actually, during quarantine. And mm-hmm. my mom, like Tyler, kept falling asleep. <laughs> and she's, somewhat, she's one of those people who asks questions during a movie anyway, you know? Yeah. And she was very, very, very confused. And I, who had seen it, multiple times before honestly couldn't answer them uh my dad really liked it though he really liked the special effects and like visually i think he was really into it yeah uh what about you guys neil tyler um so mine was my experience was really similar to christina's i watched it with a friend and they they're like the type of well so they kind of made a conscious effort to understand what was going on, which I appreciated because it's a little hard for the first time to stay like super engaged within the movie um, because there is a lot of backstory that's going on. But and they're, they're also the type of person to ask a lot of questions during movies. So mm-hmm. I was basically just translating the movie for them. And by that time, I had seen it three, four or five times. That might have been the fifth time I was yeah. watching it, but um yeah so it wasn't too bad explaining it to them but still pretty tough to do like it's a lot harder than you think even though you've seen it so many times yeah i mean it's similar for me like i i rewatched it to prepare for this but that was like more like it was just kind of on the background and i did my own thing and that's because i've seen it so many times where i like kind of know all the beats at this point but the last time i like really sat down and rewatched it i think was with my family where I was like trying to get them to watch something new and different. And um, I remember like the first time I showed my dad the movie, like he wasn't really into it. He's like, this is a drama. It's so weird. Why, why are we doing this? And I'm like, just, just watch. Like maybe you'll be into it. Um, I think my mom fell asleep, obviously. Uh, and then she like 
would ask questions to, like, make it seem like she was awake and paying attention, but we all knew she was asleep. And then, like, my sister, I don't think, was very into it. But I think my dad appreciated it more this time around, which was a positive, net positive experience for me. What about you, Ty? Yeah, kind of similar situation to Neil. I watched it with a few friends who, um, a few of them hadn't seen it, and I really wanted to introduce it to them. Uh, and so it was difficult because, you know, they have so many questions. Everyone has so many questions when you watch it the first time. Um, but I was really trying to pay attention, pick up on the details so I could explain it. And uh, like since since watching it that first time, it's definitely become one of my favorite movies. And I don't like fully understand it even like to this day. But mm-hmm. I can definitely say like I enjoy it more and more each time I watch it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely it definitely started out very high in my like opinion because like it was one of the first few movies I'd seen and it blew my mind. But like now I've like come to actually like understand why I like it. Like and I can, I can articulate it now. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a common uh, experience for all of us. Uh, in the context of Nolan's larger films, I feel like this is the one most commonly associated with him. Like, Dark Knight is probably his most popular, but, like, this is the one anyone tells you whenever you're like, hey, have you seen a Christopher Nolan movie? Like, it's most easily identifiable as him. Like, it's the most Nolan-Nolan movie, you know? Yeah, it became a really big phrase, too. Like, I remember... I used to say the word inception and like apply mm-hmm. it to like, you know, like a picture within a picture. I yeah. used to say that before I even watched the movie. And then when I watched yeah. the movie, I was like, Oh, this is what people are talking about when they say inception. Mm-hmm. So it became one of those, um, like cultural phrases, I guess, of our generation when we were young, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is also part of uh, Nolan's Dead Wife trilogy, as uh, Mr. Hall brought up earlier on in our Prestige episode. Uh, we got So it's Prestige, uh, Memento, and this, I believe, make up the Dead Wife trilogy. Yeah, this one's like the worst, too. Yeah. Because it's like a yeah. big part of the plot. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, our, actually, you know what? I think they're all like pretty equal in terms of how much the dead wife influences the plot maybe prestige is lower than memento but memento and inception the dead wife propels the plot quite heavily yeah for sure i just um i I, you know if you've seen the movie you know the scene i'm talking about which uh (laughs) which gets pretty it's pretty intense like you know obviously the main character we haven't really talked about the plot too much but the main character dom is just completely tortured by what happened like within his you know, kind of created dream world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we should just dive right into the plot, honestly, yeah, if you guys are willing to. But like, let's just let's just go for it. Because this movie, like, first of all, you know, how many movies, like, deal with dreams as, like, the main part of the plot? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard of, like, another movie, or I don't think I've ever seen another movie that has, like, dreams as, like, the main uh, kind of driving force behind the thing. Tooth fairy. Mm-hmm. Tooth fairy. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I'm trying to think of examples, and all I'm thinking of, like, every time I think of something, <laughs> I realize it's just, like, a different scene from Inception. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, what about that one movie where they, like, plug people in and put them to sleep and jumped in their dream home? That's Inception. <laughs> That's Inception. <laughs> yeah. Well, Neil's kind of right in Avatar. We, we can count that just a year ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's 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 some of that in Avatar. Um, yeah. Obviously, I think a much better movie here with Inception. 
Um, <laughs> and it explores the concept of dreaming in a much uh, much more interesting way. Like I love how there's there's the layers, and that's like you know the I believe that's like the definition of inception. It's like you go into someone's dream, and then you're like a shared you're like a shared dream layer. Uh, it, um, so in the definition of inception, like within the film, is like um, basically planting an idea in someone's like subconscious mm-hmm. while they're dreaming. So you're basically incepting an idea uh, in them. And you're supposed to like do it in a way that like they have no idea that you're the one who planted it in them. And the only way you can do that is by going like five dream levels deep. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Things get really wonky. You want to try and explain the plot of this movie the best you can? Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we've got our main character here. Um. Dom. You know, yes, we've got Dom. Dom. I was going to just call him Cobb, but it is Dom. And he's like no, known. It is Cobb. It is Cobb. Is it Dom Cobb or is it just Cobb? No, it's, it's, Cobb. Do- it's Cobb. Dominic Cobb. Is, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Cobb is the last name. And he's like, this is his job, right? This is his, like, what he does is he plants ideas in people. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys will correct me if I'm way off here. Well, and <laughs> there's this one, he's trying to plant an idea in some Dane it's he's like a famous wealthy dude so so there's a businessman and he's, <laughs> he's trying to plant an idea in the mind of his business rival right and it's give up his company basically and like right. lose all competition it has something to do with that kid's dude's son doesn't it his rival's son yeah so the his rival is like about to die, and his son's about to inherit the company, and he wants the son to like basically give up the company. Right. But All then right. things go south pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yeah. He recruits all these guys to help him, and they get they get an architect. So um, things work out, and it's like don't ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm doing a really good job. You don't want to do it based off of places you know. You want to make, like, new places. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where the dead wife comes into play, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Dom Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, he has this, like, dark secret that, uh, you know, like, he's kind of responsible for the death of his wife um, because... They both um, like went a few layers too deep in a dream. They ended up going to this thing called limbo, which is like basically where you go crazy, yeah. and um, like they ended up getting out of there. But Dom managed to like plant the idea in his wife's mind that like her world wasn't real. So when they came back to the real world, she was still stuck with that idea, and she ended up like killing herself. Uh, to try and like wake thinking up from that the she dream. was yeah thinking yeah. that she was dreaming yeah because that's because that's an interesting can, part of the part yeah right yeah exactly you can only see wake he up did a way better job explaining it than I did well just the dead wife part you did great with everything else Christina yeah considering I, I the, the movie is Inception that was that was pretty good yeah that was pretty uh, coherent um so speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio who's like arguably the biggest star on earth though we got some other pretty crazy <laughs> cast members in this movie we got um joseph gordon levitt we got tom hardy uh, of course michael kane uh we got ellen page uh who else is in there uh Cillian murphy's in there 
Cillian Murphy, I like, who I like his character a lot, talked about throughout the entire uh, Dark Knight trilogy. But yeah, he's the uh, son of the business mogul who they're trying to incept, basically. Um, and oh shoot, uh, I forgot about who plays Maul. Uh, Marion Cotillard, I believe. The yep, yeah, yeah. she's in mm-hmm. uh, she's in Bat- Dark Knight Rises as Talia Al Ghul. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of uh, actors that actors and actresses we've seen in uh, other Nolan movies. Yeah, it's a big. It's kind of like all of them coming together to make one big movie together, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, what I really like about this is like the heist aspect. Like, I think Nolan like really loves heist movies. Like, I think that's kind of obvious from all of his movies. You got um, like Dark Knight starts with a heist. Um, Inception's a heist movie. Uh, Tenet I think is like also kind of a heist movie, but yeah, has that feel. Yeah, this is the biggest heist movie like that he's made, and it's really fascinating to see like Nolan get to make movies in a different genre, but like the way he'd make them with all of his like weird time bendy twists and everything. Um, Yeah, we go ahead, Ty. We talked a little bit about, like you kind of mentioned, there's a lot of like twists and turns, and we, we talked a lot about that in The Prestige, and I think that's like a big part of Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that I really love about, about Inception specifically um, is that you, as you like go into each level of the dream, right, the characters kind of like descend further and further, um, time slows down in mm-hmm. the upper levels because they're basically moving really fast in the lower levels. Uh, the deeper they go, they like they keep falling asleep within the dream. It sends them deeper, um, and it's it's a really cool way to play with time because you you get that sense that he does that in um, Interstellar, you know, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. But in Inception, it's a totally different, um, completely kind of like theoretical way to just mess up the the time, but also keep the plot like somewhat coherent. Like you can follow along and be like, okay, like so this is this level. And then there's yeah. there's like a lower level, and so that that's one of the things that's that I find really cool about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tyler's like talking about the whole dream within a dream structure, which I guess we haven't like fully explained either. Neil, you want to explain that a little for us? Well, um, I guess we'll start off where Tyler left off. So basically, you fall asleep, and once you fall asleep, they're kind of transported into that person's subconscious or their dream state. And obviously the time in the movie, they portray the time and the dream state to be progressing normally. Whereas then the person who's really asleep in like reality, their time is going by really slow. It's kind of like how human dreams work. Like you dream really fast and then you Mm -hmm. wake up and then you're like, oh, you know? So, um, and then as they keep going within layers and layers, because they realize that um, they need to do this in a way that the guy whose dream they're planting it into doesn't realize that they're doing it, right? Isn't yeah. that why they keep on going yeah. deeper? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they keep on entering these layers, but I forgot like what the whole deal with the um, limbo is. Isn't it like if you enter in too deep or if you don't make it out in time, right? Yeah, so like the way they the way they go to sleep is like they're taking like this like a mixture to put them into a deep enough sleep where they can dream and then like enter further layers Mm -hmm. but then like the mixture is also like 
strong enough where like normally when you do the dreaming and you die in the dream you wake up in real life and this you're kind of like going too far so you're you won't wake up your mind's just gonna slip into limbo and you oh. need to get out of there somehow got it yeah uh, that's another inter- interesting concept, like the whole idea of limbo. Because that's, I think that's definitely one of the parts that's confused me the most, the more, like, consistently after rewatches. Yeah, the movie starts with, and this is like something you don't realize, big spoilers, but the movie starts with um, Saito and Cobb in limbo, mm-hmm. which is crazy because you basically, you get like the end of the movie um, where uh, Dom and, and um, Saito are stuck and they've both entered limbo together. Um, Dom's basically gone back to save um, Saito. And in order to um, escape, at the beginning of the movie, Dom needs to convince Saito that they need to leave and they're stuck in limbo, which Saito doesn't realize. He thinks that he's this is like an actual reality that he's living. And one of the crazy things about it is at the beginning of the movie, you have no idea that's what that is. It just, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're like, what is going on? Like, you, you see, like, these two characters, and they're, they're like, having a conversation. And it, it means almost nothing to you until you watch the whole movie and you watch that scene again. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, That's probably why the movie like. makes so much more sense when you watch it a second time. Because from the get-go, you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a big... That's, I think, what a lot of people have a problem with in Nolan movies is, like, they kind of start out with you have no clue, no clue what's happening. Uh, like I believe that happens in the Prestige as well. Like you're kind of thrown like to the end of the story, and you have no clue. You have no connection to the characters or anything, and you don't have any idea what's going on. And then you have to get through the whole movie in order to get it. But I think that's also what makes them so exciting to watch. Like when you finally do get everything, it mm-hmm. just makes it all so much more worth it. None of his movies allow you to, like, zone out. You know, you always have to be pretty attentive. Yeah. Uh, One of the big things we've been talking about with Nolan movies is, like, this, like, perceived coldness in his movies where they're not very, like, you don't really care about the characters. And I believe that's, like, kind of, like, to a lesser extent in this movie, but also, like, it is still kind of there because I think Cobb is really the only character that you know and care about in the movie, like, He's the only one I really remember by name anytime I rewatch other than maybe Saito. But he's the only one who you have like clear motivations for and know as a person, which I think is... And I think... Go ahead, Neil. Yeah. I mean, I think being played by one of the most popular and best actors in the world helps. But um, I definitely agree in that like, I feel like every time I rewatch it, and like I said, I've seen this five four or five times by now every time i rewatch this movie i i'm learning the names like from the yeah. beginning <laughs> so mm-hmm. i don't remember even saito i don't i thought his name was arthur is it arthur is um I believe that's it's joseph, joseph gordon levers yeah. oh we'll see yeah. i'm already mixing up names but <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a recurring theme throughout the podcast so yeah yeah but i definitely don't remember other characters except dom and that's mm-hmm. probably because they have less of a role in the movie. And I, I guess like Nolan just purposely put less emphasis on them because Don actually has motivation. Yeah. I think that's honestly like my only real weak point in the movie that like, you don't really get why any of the other characters are doing anything. 
for him you know like okay maybe sure they're friends but also like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of a weak argument to make it, uh, and I you think, know it's the typical heist film yeah like he's putting together a team yeah. They go and they he puts together the team, you know, everyone's in, and then they go and they do the heist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously a lot more entertaining than like most heist movies, but yeah. at its core, like you mentioned earlier, that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this also has the added benefit of getting to do more than like most other heist movies, where you get to do all the fun little visual flares that Nolan movies have, like. Um, that crazy image of like the train driving through downtown and bashing through all those cars. You've got, mm-hmm. like we mentioned earlier, the city folding up on over itself. And then of course There's the hallway scene, the hallway scene, oh, the hallway. which yeah. is just yeah. like the pinnacle of like, crazy action set pieces. Cause it's just so unique. Um, so in case you don't know what that hallway scene is, it's basically like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fighting a bunch of goons in the second layer of the dream. I believe, um, what and he's fighting while the previous layers dream. Uh, everyone else is sitting in a car, and the car is tumbling side over side. So his entire world is shaking too, and he's fighting in a hallway. So the hallway is rotating, and that scene is just insane. It's probably the greatest twist on gravity I've seen in a mm-hmm. not space movie, like easily. Mm-hmm. It's so cool, and. It's so awesome how they filmed it, like the whole building a practical spinning hallway set. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys have seen videos of that, but that thing is massive. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all like harnessed crazy. in as the thing spins. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's just like a testament to Nolan's power as a filmmaker. Like he's a, he's given the budget because um, like studios trust him to carry out the vision as realistically as possible because... I don't think any stuff in Nolan movies looks weird or fake. Like he always manages to find the best way to make anything look good. Well, he always nails that. He can always yeah. pull off whatever he's like planning to make. Um, I think another scene that ha- that we haven't really mentioned at all mm-hmm. that visually I don't I'm not sure why I just really appreciate is when they're it's like they're in all that the mountains with the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's a and I think one. after there's some really dark visually, you know, like it's a darker movie for parts of it. Throwing that in there, I think, is some interesting contrast. Yeah, and I really like snow, so that's also probably part of it. But yeah, anytime a action movie goes into the snow, it gets more exciting. I think personally, mm-hmm. it's true. Although, yeah, it'd be really exciting if it was an R-rated movie and you can see, like, all the little blood spatters and drippings all over the snow, because that makes it even more fun. (laughs) Directed by Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking this. Hateful Eight, basically. Exactly, yeah. You know, I I love, um, it's a great point, Christina, because we haven't really talked about that. I think it's, like, the third level, you know, with all the... The third or fourth, yeah. There's, like, the, there's, like, a compound, like, this, this massive fortress, kind of, like, somewhere in this, like, wilderness, and it is a great, like, contrast color-wise to all of the, you know, um, set pieces that have come before. Because everything, I kind of agree with you, has, has been kind of dark or it's like rainy. like and blues. Yeah, very dreary. It's almost like very typical Nolan, like Dark Knight prestige type um, mm-hmm. color there. And then they he just completely flips it with, uh, with, the, with this third level. And it's really cool because you do get some great action sequences. I think there's like a like a snow tank at one point it's got like treads yeah. 
That's one of my favorite parts. Mm. Yeah, and I think yeah, they've got like the... snow jet skis. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, snowmobiles. Oh yeah, um, that <laughs> a, a thing that exists. <laughs> snow jet skis. No, um, I like snow jet think... skis. I'm gonna I'm going with that. I think even with the snow scene, I think it's important that like he still maintains though. Like obviously, you know, snow is cold. But he still kind of maintains that cold and like, um, I guess like upbeat and suspect. Like, I don't know how to say it, but like the that it's it's a really urgent yeah. point in the movie. You know, with even with the setting, and even though the snow might be a contrast to the rest of the sets, he still kind of is able to say like this is important. Like what's going on in the scene. Yeah, he he's very consistent in tone. Like, um, yeah, it it doesn't become like a little fun excursion to like a little winter resort. It's like we got to get shit done. What's great about that scene too is that when they were filming it, I was reading that they had to wait for a blizzard to happen. Like the you know, <laughs> yeah, the no one was like it has to be in a blizzard. There has to be like. <laughs> Big sticks. It can't be like this nice sunny day. You know, you, you wanted like the equivalent of like rain or something, I guess, for, you know, for, for that scene specifically. So they, they waited, the production waited until a blizzard happened on the mountain they were filming on. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's like, that's pretty, de- that's pretty dedicated right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of his whole like big no green screens thing. Because I think hmm. like even with crazy movies like Dark Knight and like, think he did on interstellar but like this there's very little green screen involved as much practical stuff as they can which is funny because nothing about this movie is practical Mm -hmm. it's all just crazy unbelievable imagery which i think is what makes it so exciting to watch um let's talk about the big uh ending before we wrap things up here, uh, we can get into a bit of spoilers. So, the big guy, uh, who wants to explain totems here? Because I think that's a big thing we have to explain before we get into this. Ty got it. Ty's got it. Yeah, so basically, the big twist ending, it kind of revolves around, like quite literally revolves around um, Cobb's totem, <laughs> which is a top. Um, and the idea of, of the totem is that it is something that the the dreamer has um, to guarantee that they are either dreaming or not dreaming. And the whole idea is that, like, with Cobb's totem, he would spin the top, and if the top falls, then he knows he's not dreaming. He's in the real world because it's something that would happen. But if the top just keeps spinning infinitely, then he knows he's dreaming. And so do you, do you want me to explain the, the yeah. end of it? Okay, so basically... At the end of the movie, Cobb and his team kind of successfully complete the task and they get the, um, you know, uh, CEO's son to dissolve his corporation. Uh, and everyone gets out. They basically, you know, uh, get get Saito out of the limbo and everyone's happily back on the plane. And um, they Cobb goes home to his family, which he now believes he can see. And he, you know, he sees his children. He sees Michael Caine's characters there. And right before he runs out to see them for the first time in like a, in several years, he uh, spins his totem, spins the top, and the movie slowly pans away from him and his kids, and focuses on the top, which is still spinning, and then the movie cuts to black before you can see if the top falls or not. 
And I love it because there's a moment where like the top like shudders a little bit. And then yeah. right after that moment, the, the screen just goes to black and it's like, you don't know if he's dreaming or not. You don't know if they ever actually made it out or if what occurred the entire movie was a dream within itself. It's mind blowing. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a big point of discussion in like, uh, Nolan film circles or just, you know, like film discussions, like whether or not, uh, it's reality. Dom's like living a dream or getting out. I don't know. Personally, what do you guys think? Cause that's a big I, question. Well, so I thought, <laughs> I thought I'd be the ultra smart decoder of this movie and say that, that since the top shutters, like Tyler said, right before it cuts black, that he was in reality. But, like, that would be the happy ending, you know? And that yeah. would be the ultimate kind of uh, end goal, obviously, that Dom was pushing for. So I like to stay positive and believe that he, he did succeed and that he is living in a reality with his kids happily. That's nice. What about you, Christina? It's definitely one of those things where now that we've talked about it, I'm probably going to lay in bed and think about it tonight. Uh-huh. I Good. honestly don't know. Like, I think it makes sense either way. Yeah. I mean... That's probably the reason he put it like that. So it's up for discussion. Everyone talks about it. And, you know, it's like whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I think it would kind of suck if the whole movie was a dream. Because you know how when you're in like third grade and you start writing, your teacher is always like, you can't make the end of your story be like, oh, they woke up and it was a dream. Yeah. Like that's a big no-no. <laughs> but Well, I mean, that's literally what the movie is. They wake up and it's everything's been a dream. Yeah. Well, I think she's talking about like the, yeah. the entirety of what was on screen. So like he yeah. never really met right. his kids. Yeah. Right. That, that kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, um, my big thing is, do we see? Do we see his kids' faces at the end? I think we do, right? Yeah. Yes. We. The the big thing is that he finally sees his kids' faces because they turn around. And he gets to see, and that's that's kind of like something that might signify that it, it really is happening. Um, that that's so that you, yeah yeah that's my rationale. Like um, his big thing is he hasn't been able to see them, and I think if he still couldn't see their faces, I think that would lean a bit more heavily into like they don't actually exist and it is a dream. But the fact that he sees their faces, I believe, implies some sort of reality, including the top wavering, of course. What about you, Ty? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I kind of right there with uh, Christina on this one because I love the ambiguity of it. I love how you can just sit and think about it. And mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever meant to be decided one way or another, like whether or not that final scene is, uh, you know, the real world or a dream or if it really even matters. Because in in Dom's mind, that's his kids. That, that was the end goal. He gets back to seeing them and then the movie's over. So it's like would it really matter one way or another if he was dreaming? Like we, we don't really even know. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a great way to end a movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, where do you guys rank in your overall Nolan rankings? We kind of talked about our rankings earlier, but uh, where, what number do you rank it approximately? Neil? Uh, definitely number two for me. Behind what? Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ty? Yeah, I'm, I totally agree with Neil. I mean, it, it's such a fantastic movie, and I think that mm-hmm. um, the only movie that could really beat it in my book would be something like The Dark Knight. Yeah. 
Uh, it was number three for me recently, up, and it's just been dropped to number four. But uh, I still oh, wow. love it. It's one of the first movies I ever like really loved. So, behind which series, right? Uh, Prestige, Dark Knight, and Tenet. Oh, yeah. oh wow! You like Tenet that much? I still haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that. We're, we're right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> so, answer that. Yeah. For what sure. about you, Christina? I think I'm going to have to agree with Neil and Tyler that the only film that beats it is Dark Knight. Wow. And nice. I probably, like, the the first couple times I watched it would have put this, like, above Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. But now that we've talked about that ending, it kind of really bothers me now. So it's number two now. <laughs> oh, no. <Wow. laughs> oh, yeah. Good luck grappling with that. For yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's what we do. We bring guests on to have existential crises. If you um, never hear from me again, you know why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if if Christina doesn't guest again, that you know why. We made her think a bit too hard. Um, but I think that about wraps up our thoughts on the movie. I think we overall really love it. I think, I mean, personally, it's a four four point five out of five. Just them little room for improvement that Dark Knight and uh, uh, Prestige fill for me. But I don't know about you guys. Is it fives for you guys as well, or four point fives? Yeah, it's a five for me. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a five. I think, I think the ending made Christina drop it. No, I was gonna least. say there's. I feel like personally, there's really no such thing as like a perfect movie. So it's like a four point eight, something like right. that. Fair enough. Respect. The ending knocked it down from a four point nine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. Yeah, it was good to be back. Yeah. Uh, Well, we will have another episode on the next uh, movie in our Nolan series coming up very soon. But until then, this has been Double Stuff Cinema. Get stuffed.